I was asked to attend or to speak for the summer series of the Crossville Church of Christ, and they had a topic that really was interesting. They were taking all of the young men who had been at the congregation before, those who had been impacted by it in one way or another, whether their dad was the preacher there or whether they had just attended there before, and they wanted to have them come and speak on the topic of songs and to take different titles of songs and to delve into some of the thoughts that were behind it. And so, as you can see behind me, this is one of the songs they asked, and they asked me to cover this particular topic of All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. And really, that is a title that could have a sermon in of itself just talking about that title. All, every single person on this earth, hail, give honor to, give reverence to the power. There's inherent ability and strength within this name of Jesus. To pay attention to that name, to see that it has power, it has value. But this evening, I would like us to consider specific characteristics of that name. Different characteristics of this name, Jesus, this name, Emmanuel, is Jesus, same name, but a name that has had more impact on human history than any other. A name that changed the course of human history from a violent end. So this evening, I would first of all like us to consider that the name of Jesus, this name that we are to give reverence to and to honor, is a name, first of all, that reigns. If it will skip. I don't know if it will or not. There it goes. All right, a name that reigns. Jesus' name is one that has authority. It has power behind it. If we go back to the medieval period, we look through some of the different genealogies that existed back then, just having a particular name gave someone the right to rule. It did not matter if you were the second cousin twice removed to the seventh cousin that once married into the family. As long as you had that name attached to you, you could reign. You had authority behind it, and Jesus' name is one that has authority. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, we read of the Great Commission. And Jesus starts off that Great Commission with a simple phrase. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. But he starts off with a statement of authority. And this is not something that would have been new. It's not something that's even new today. Remember how the apostles began a lot of their letters. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, or Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or Peter described himself as this as well. Or I can look at the book of James as well, where James introduces himself as James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is he saying there? What is he saying when he says, I have all power? Jesus is saying, I have the authority to make this declaration to you. I have the authority to give this command. Just like the apostles would say, I am a servant of Christ or I am an apostle of Jesus Christ to show I have the authority to say this. Not for my own power or my own ability, but I have authority that's been granted me from God. When we would use this today, it might simply be, well, this is what the Bible says. Or this is what God says. It's not about what you and I think. It's not about how you and I present the message. It's what does the message say? What does God have to say? Because we don't have inherent authority. But Jesus has this God-given authority because He is God. He is the name that reigns. He is the one who has this kingship, this lordship. He has this rule that He can attain. You see, He is the head of this church the head of this body that He created, the head that was promised from the beginning. 
Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1 for a moment. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be starting in verse 21. That's Ephesians chapter 1 starting in verse 21. Here, Paul writing to the Ephesian church starts off far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Again, he's referring to Christ here. He says that his name is above all and hath put, and he, God, put all things under his, Jesus' feet and gave him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When you and I are teaching others about the gospel and we're teaching them about the church, it is only God who has authority to determine what we do. Only God has that authority. The elders have the ability to determine when we worship or what time we set everything up, when we do how many songs, how, what prayers we do at what time. Yes, that is their right to discuss, but they have no right to determine anything other than what God gave us to do. They can't say we're going to take singing out altogether because we have been commanded to sing. That was a command that was given from God. Ephesians 5.19, sing and make melody in your hearts to the Lord. That was a command given. They can't take out prayer because we are to pray without ceasing. That's not something they have rights over. You see, the commands that were given by God, no one has the right to change. But all across the globe today, there are people who are claiming to be servants of God, but they've changed the message. They've changed the way that they worship. See, they took what they heard from the Bible and they changed it to a doctrine of men. That's what they wanted to teach. That's what they wanted to show instead of following after the message that God gave, the commands that God gave from the beginning. The only one who has authority to determine Do we do the same? Do we take what God has given us and we change it to our own benefit? See, you and I don't have a right to do that. If I change anything from what God established at the beginning, it ceases to be the church. Because only Jesus is the head of that body. So he has this right to reign because God gave him this role. God gave him this position. And Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. This is not a title that's used lightly. What does it mean to be a King of kings and a Lord of lords? Back in the ancient day, there would be no greater than the king. The king is the leader. He is the all-powerful ruler of a kingdom. But Jesus says, I am King of kings and Lord of lords. No one has more power and authority than me. I'm reminded of an example in the book of Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar looks out over the nation of Babylon. He says, look at this great Babylon that I have built. And how did God respond to that? He says, okay, you think you're in charge. You're going to crawl on all fours like a beast. You're going to eat grass. Your nails are going to grow long. Your hair is going to grow long. And you're going to do that until what? You know that God rules in the kingdoms of men and giveth them to whomsoever he will. You see, we might think today that nations change hands by military might or political power or something along those lines, but the reality is God allows them to exist. You go back and look through the Old Testament and how the nations rose and fell and how empires came into being. The nation of Assyria was mentioned long before it was an empire. 
The nation of Babylon was mentioned before it was an empire. Egypt as well. But God brought them to power, and He also was their destruction. Remember the prophecies that were made to the nation of Babylon whenever it was at the height of its power. There was a king who had a banquet. He laid it out before his people and he's enjoying the luxuries that they had. But God begins to write on the wall. Today we have that phrase literally to mean your time is coming. We see the handwriting on the wall. We know what's about to happen. As a result of that prophecy, what nation came into power? The Medes and the Persians. They destroyed a great nation. Because it's only God that rules. God is the one that reigns, not the people on this earth. People can claim to have all kinds of power they want. There's been many kings throughout history who have claimed to be gods. Just take a short look through the Roman emperors and you'll find several. But last I checked, gods don't die. Last I checked, God's power isn't absolute. But where are they? Forgotten names in a history book. Forgotten names. There's places all over this world that once were symbols of great power and authority that are now nothing more than a few stones. As great as America is and all the accomplishments that we've had, there's no guarantee that in several decades, several hundred years that we'll just be a blip on the history map. Nothing more. No memory, no records. That's happened to nations before. But God is the one who has an eternal kingdom. He is the one that reigns from now and forever. See, He is the one who has all authority. But Jesus and the Father are one. He's emphasizing this point as well. In John chapter 10, verses 27-30, He deci- er, describes this point. He's saying that we both are God. We both have power. The Son and the Father have the same authority. When Jesus came to this earth, He lowered Himself to the form of a human. Sometimes I think we might forget that point. That Jesus went from the utmost level of authority, the place of all good and comfort, came to this earth to live a fairly miserable life by human standards and ultimately to die on a cross for you and for me. He lowered Himself to that point but he has the authority to teach. Remember how some of the soldiers responded when they heard Jesus teaching. They came back to the leaders of that town and they said, we've never heard a man speak like this. He speaks as one having authority. Spoiler alert, he did. (laughs) And he does. He has the authority to determine these things because he is the very one that breathed the breath of life into us. If He created this globe, who else has the authority to determine what happens to it? You and me who just live on it? God is the only one that has the name that reigns. Jesus' name is the one that has authority. But it's not just the name that reigns, you see. It is also the name that unites. Christianity is not usually a topic that we think of when we think of unity. If you go look at America today and think of, just type in the word church, how many different names are going to pop up? Different ideas, different doctrines, different books, different religion all entirely. But Jesus' name is the name that unites. It brings together under one banner. 
Remember this morning how we discussed the point that in Christ alone we have security. It is in Christ's name that we have this salvation, this unity, this family, this home. Only through Him. I can't come up with something that's going to magically make everything all right. I'm not going to come up with something better than what He created. His name brings those who follow it together. See, God does not discriminate. Unlike many people in the world, God does not discriminate. He doesn't say, okay, I like this person, not this one. Uh, I like this group, not this group. See, that's what people in the world try to say today, that God is just discriminating. He just doesn't like any group that is not exactly the way He wants it to be. The reality is God's arms are open wide to anyone who will come but he cannot have a relationship that those, with those who violate his boundaries. And this is not something that's new even today. If we were thinking about a dating relationship, if you have someone who constantly violates your boundaries, constantly crosses the line, never tries to help you, how long do you think that relationship would last? Unfortunately, with some, far too long. But with God, that's not something that can function. You see, in order to have a relationship with God, we have to do the things that are necessary to build that relationship. Imagine if someone walked up to your door tonight, knocked on the door and said, I'm married to you. You know full well that didn't happen. <laughs> they said, but I'm married to you and I deserve all the benefits from it. Okay. Where's the ring? Where's the certificate? Where's the video? Where's anything to show me that this happened? They say, well, I just feel like it should be that way. Bye. <laughs> That's not how that works. You don't have a relationship just because someone else wants it. There has to be conditions that are met in order to have that relationship. God is no different. Those who follow after Him are united under one name and one banner. But God does not discriminate based on the color of anyone's skin. He does not discriminate based on anyone's gender or anything else. He does not discriminate based on those grounds. He discriminates only in the sense of you walk away from Him. So who's actually discriminating? When I determine I don't want to follow after Him, He's not going to force me to be there. But if I choose to follow after His name, He welcomes all under His arms. He will unite any who fall under His name. See, He wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. That's what He wants for you and for me. But some will choose not to do this. Some will choose that the way of God is too hard or too inconvenient. Or maybe it just doesn't look exactly the way I want it to. Maybe I want to have more fun by world standards. When I tell God that I don't want to follow after Him because I want X, I'm saying I have a God, and it's not you. And friends, there are far too many people who attend the church of self. And they are far more committed to that than anything else. 
They say, my life is about what I want, how I feel, how I want things to go. And if anyone else says anything different, they can take a hike. That's not unity. That's not uniting under one name. And it is a shame that so many people claim the name Christian when they've never once looked like Christ. See, you and I make mistakes. We have failures. We have moments of lapses of judgment. But how we look like Christ is we strive to be the example He set forward. We are daily living our lives trying to be like Him. When we make mistakes, we fix them. When we do wrong, we apologize. We put protections in place to make sure we don't fall again. We study God's Word so we can know more to be better prepared for the attacks of the devil. According to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we need to be sober, we need to be vigilant, because our adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. See, you and I have to be aware that there's something to watch for. The world, they aren't looking for anything. There's no threat they have to face. But for those who name the name of Christ, we have to unite under one banner. We have to be following after Him. He's the name that unites. You see, we are all one in Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. What is He saying there? None of us have less or more value than another. The world likes to put restrictions. It likes to say that this person belongs in this role or this person belongs in this role. And sometimes those roles are so confusing it doesn't look like anything at all. But God says we're all one. What does that mean? We all have the same ability to come to Him. We all have the same ability to study His Word. We all have the same ability to be saved. It's not harder for one nationality. It's not harder for one gender. It's not harder for anyone to come to Christ than another. His arms are open wide wanting all to come home. All to be a part of His kingdom. It is just our choice to make. Our choice to follow after Him and to unite under that banner. But finally... Yes, Jesus' name is one that reigns. Yes, His name is one that unites, but it's also one that saves. His name is one that saves. I appreciate the Scripture reading this evening because that's exactly what we're discussing. There is no other name by which we can be saved. I can't go to any other person, any other ideology, no other position and say, hey, You can save me, right? The answer is no. Now, they may claim to do that. They may claim that you can say this particular prayer. They may claim that if you do these particular acts, that you know what, you'll be saved. But the reality is there is only one name by which we can be saved. Only one name that you and I can unite under. Only one name that can protect us from the world. It is just our choice whether or not we will follow it. But how does this work? See, Jesus was the only one who could save. If you would, please look at Romans chapter 5. 
It's Romans chapter 5. We'll be starting in verse 10. Here Paul writing to the church in Rome says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. It's only through Christ that we receive this, this ability to be bought back by the Lord, this redemption from the sin of this world. It's only through Him. No other name, no other creed, no other religious body. We have the name Church of Christ out front, not because we're just a denomination among denominations. That name means something. If we're not doing what the Lord has to say, if we're not following after what He wants, that name doesn't mean anything. But if we follow after Christ, if we understand that it is by Him that we have salvation, that name means everything. Because that is the name by which we can be saved. That is the name that offers everything we could ever want. Peace, hope, love, everything. The world sometimes claims that this name wants to destroy or wants to condemn or wants to ostracize. And they say, I can't follow a Lord who wants to send someone to hell. We just talked about in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that's not what He wants. That's not what God wants for you and for me. In fact, that, that place was designed for those who had rebelled against God from the beginning. The devil and his angels. But if we choose to be separated from Him, if I choose to live my life opposite of what He expects of me, if I don't want to do the things He's told me to do, then what else is left but hell? God is light. God is life. God is peace. God is joy. God is hope. We read that all throughout Scripture. And if I separate myself from those things, what's left? Darkness, pain, suffering, memory, loss, everything. That's all that's left. And if I choose to be in that place, if I choose to separate myself from Him, that's where I choose to be for all eternity. God offers that choice before us. He says, this can be your eternal home. You can have salvation if you decide to follow after me. Because that is the only way. He is the only one who could save. He was the only one who could be that sacrifice but beyond that as well, Jesus offered a sacrifice once for all. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 8 through 10 in particular, we read that there were those sacrifices that took place under the Old Testament and they were never going to be able to save. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. But Christ was that sacrifice once for all. One time. Covered everything before, covered everything after. Those who choose to follow after me, those who want to be a part of my kingdom, they can be saved for good. He washed away those sins 
And He will continue to do that today. He was that sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice without spot or without blemish. But why, why couldn't someone else be the sacrifice? Why did it have to be Jesus? A perfect man sent into the world. A man who had never sinned before finally committed it in Genesis chapter 3. From that point, God's first fruits, as we read in James chapter 1 verse 17, was separated from him, removed from him. And for the rest of the Bible, God wants to bring them back. He works to bring them back to him by offering the only one who could be that sacrifice. The only one who lived a sinlessly perfect life and had the knowledge to do so. He lived like you and me, was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. We can go look at John chapter 4 and see how he was tempted just in that one section in every type of temptation that there was. But he did not fail. He did not falter. And because of that, he was able to be that sacrifice that finally was able to satisfy God's justice so that you and I could be saved. Those who follow Him can have access to that. They can have access to that salvation. Let's look at John chapter 3. That's John chapter 3. Now many of us are probably familiar with this passage, but starting in John chapter 3, starting in verse 16, well, let's start back in verse 15, excuse me. Let's go back even to 14. And Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever or whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. He's showing a comparison here. Remember how under the Old Testament, the fiery serpents were sent among God's people, and what did Moses bring up? He brought up the brazen serpent. That if the people looked upon that serpent, they would be healed from their snake bites. Those who refused would die. So he's taking that comparison here. Starting in verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God is not condemning anything. It was condemned from the start. In Genesis chapter 3, when man sinned, that was the fate of the world. Without God intervening in some fashion, that was our state. When we sin, that's it. When we reject God and we turn away from Him, there is no path of escape. That is the state of the world right now. God is not condemning anyone. They're already condemned because of their sin. He is offering a pardon. He is offering a way out. Because the consequences are there. If you refuse to follow Him, that's the only path available. But He says, no, I give you another way. A way you can follow that doesn't have to face eternal destruction. All you have to do is to determine to follow Me. To read what I have to say and to say, His will matters, not mine. Even Jesus Himself, praying to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, Not thy or my will, but thy will be done. Will we allow pride to keep us from Him? 
will we allow ourselves to say, well, I think that I'm perfectly fine in whatever path it is. I've heard what the Bible has to say on this topic. I've heard the things that God has told me I need to understand. But you know what? That's just too hard. Then we close the door. If that's the path we decide, that door is closed for that person. No other way out. But God does not want that for anyone. He built this church. Not this building that we're worshiping in, but the church, the body of Christ, those who choose to follow after Him. He built that body so that people could come back to Him. And it's our job to go reach the lost, to tell them of their state, to tell them, look, this is where you are. And if you continue in this, this is your only fate. Not because I hate you, not because I just want to spoil your fun, but because this is the end. We offer them a choice. Where do you stand? Do you stand with the name that offers salvation? Do you stand with the name that unites? Do you stand with the name that reigns? Only you can answer that question. I can't answer it for you. The elders can't answer that for you. Your best friend can't answer that for you. But all of us look in the mirror. All of us know where we are. It's our choice what we do about it. Maybe you're not a member of the Lord's church. That isn't the name that you follow yet. He made that path available for you and for me by hearing the word, Romans 10, 17. Understanding that to be true, believing it to be true, John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. And based upon that belief, that understanding, we can confess his name, Romans 10, 10. Confessing that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. But that's our choice of what we do. Because even if we confess, without repentance it means nothing. I can say that Christ is Lord, but if my actions don't follow, it means nothing. That's Acts 17.30. It's what God commands for you and for me to repent of those sins. And based upon that confession from the repentance that we have made, we can be baptized into Christ. Because up to that point, we haven't been saved. We're not safe until we've become part of His church by baptism, 1 Peter 3.21. Up to that point, I can be studying all I want. I can be following the Bible. I can be looking at everything He has said. But without being in that body, it doesn't mean anything. I'm standing outside the door looking at all the blessings beyond, but I just won't walk through. That's the decision you can make tonight. You can walk through that door. You can have all the blessings that are afforded by the name that saves. But maybe you already did that. Maybe you became a member of the Lord's church. You already walked through that door. You've seen the blessings, but the world is hard. The world is difficult. And maybe something turned your attention from, away from God. Maybe you allowed something to divide you from His people. 
He wants you to come home. He wants you to make that right. And you know what? You can. As long as you draw breath, you can. We're not guaranteed walking out these doors that we'll make it home tonight. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we are willing to confess. We're willing to make that right. But maybe you just want to know more. Maybe you feel like you're, you're right on the cusp of it, but I just don't really know enough. There's many people willing to sit down and study with you to make sure that you can be ready. Because there's no reason to leave if you're unsure. If you have any need, don't wait. Don't try to fix it yourself. Come now as together we stand and as we sing.